podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Today's scripture reading is in Psalm chapter 33. We'll begin in verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. All His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. And a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in His holy name. Let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in You. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, today we come before You as a people. Some searching for hope in the midst of impossible despair and heartache, but You, Lord, are sovereign. You are good and right. Your love toward your people is steadfast. Your word always comes to pass and your purposes cannot be frustrated. So Lord, today, as we hear your word, as we receive your word, I pray that we would see your hand at work in our lives and lead us to hope in you as we see your steadfast love upon us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Good morning, my name is Andrew. I'm the youth minister here at Redeemer Christian Church, and I always tell you this, but I love this church, and I'm really grateful for every opportunity that I get to come and teach for you, open God's Word, and um, study with you. 
I'll say as a member of this congregation, I have really enjoyed the preachers that have been coming through our pulpit the last couple of weeks, whether that's Dusty or Benny. But as a person who has to fill the pulpit, it is not necessarily my favorite experience to follow Benny or Dusty, right? They're really good at what they do, and they're really excellent men. And so typically, I'll give you a little hint about my strategy in life. A lot of times in college, I'd have to perform, a, you know, whether this was, um, you know, a piano solo or whatever it was, I took piano in college, and my strategy was to go after the worst person in the class, and that made me feel good about myself. And so in this exercise, when I look at who's preaching this summer and I look at who I want to go after, the answer is that everyone wants to go after me, and so uh, I'm like... I have no options, so I'm just going to go when I go, and I'm going to hope that the uh, word of the Lord is sufficient for me. And so today, we're going to be teaching through Psalm chapter 33. And I chose this text a couple months ago because it's a psalm of hope. It's a psalm that sheds light on a truth about God that is a precious ointment to ailing hearts. It's a truth that frees us from endless anxiety and toil by widening our perspective and our existence. It's a truth that provides rest for those of us whom the world has made weary. And this week, many people in our church family are grieving the loss of a sister in Christ. A young woman, 24 years old, was serving children last week, and she made the coffee that you and I were drinking, and then uh, she went to lunch with her family after church last Sunday, and when she left lunch with her family, she was struck by a car and killed. As with many of us, the events of this week have caused my heart to be heavy, And as human beings, we live in a world that is broken by sin. It's not uncommon for our hearts to cry out for hope, whether that is in the midst of our everyday lives as it wears down on us or in the midst of an awful tragedy. We begin searching for truth that would alleviate the stress of our lives or the pain that we experience in our hearts. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, where is hope found? Where are we to find hope in this world? And as the people of God, we look for truth in the Scriptures. We look to God's Word. And so, if you would, with me, we're going to begin reading together in Psalm chapter 33, verse 4. It says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in righteousness. I want us to kind of key in on two ideas this morning that are going to help uh, illuminate the rest of Psalm 33 for us. So to help us understand Psalm 33, one is the Word of God what God says, and the other is the work of God, what He does. And so in the Scriptures, God's Word and His works, they always go together. They are always in alignment with one another. Now, this is often not true of humans, right? Our words and our works do not always come together. They're not always in alignment with one another, right? We will say things, we will feel things, we will desire to do things, but that does not always mean that they will come to pass. But in the Scripture, God's words and His works are never to be separated. His word and His works, they always come together. Whatever He says comes to pass. Pastor Charles Spurgeon says that God writes with a pen that never blots. He speaks with a tongue that never slips, and He acts with a hand which never fails. The term that we often use for this is sovereign. That God is sovereign. He always does as He says, and nothing will stop Him or disrupt Him from accomplishing His purposes. That's what Psalm 115 verse 3 tells us. It says, Our Lord is in the heavens, and He does whatever pleases Him. Nothing disrupts, nothing distracts, nothing destroys God's plans and purposes. What He says, He will do. 
Now, the idea of sovereignty is kind of a, a, a worrisome one for some of us because we're not sure that the sovereign one is actually a good one. But the, the psalmist wants us to see in verse, 30, or verse 5 of chapter 33 that the one who is sovereign is himself good. Look at verse 5. It says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Really what this is kind of getting at is that our world seems so random and meaningless at times. Especially this week, it seems chaotic and disordered. But the psalm declares that this is not so. The sovereign God of the universe loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of His love, and nothing will stop Him from doing as He pleases. And so the psalmist wants to point our attention to God's sovereignty in two ways, and then how we ought to respond. First is, we want to see God's sovereignty in creation. Next, the psalmist wants us to see God's sovereignty in history. And last, we should look at our response to God's sovereignty. So first, let's look at God's sovereignty in creation. Look with me at Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. See, the psalmist is bringing to, to mind the most obvious example of God's works and His words it working in concert with one another. In Genesis 1, we see God's Word as He speaks, and then we see creation come into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke the universe into existence by a word. And the psalmist tells us in verse 6 that as easy as it is for you to say a word for God, it is that easy to put the stars in the sky. As easy as it is for you to breathe, it's that simple for God to create the universe. And in verse 7, he goes on to tell us that not only does he speak creation into existence by his absolute power, that he controls even the waters as he stacks them on top of each other as in a heap. But not only do we see the power of God and how He creates, we get a glimpse of the character of God by what He creates. Theologian Herman Bobbing, he says that such as the Maker is, so is His work. Creation is a reflection of its Creator. Just as children are a reflection of their parents. We can look into creation and we can see the nature of the Creator who made it. We can see His goodness and the beauty of the world that He has made. Often people complain about living in Emerald because it's ugly. Emerald is one of the most beautiful places in the world, in my opinion. And I think that we know that. And if, and if there are other beautiful places all over the world that God has made, we can see God's goodness through His creation. As we look out onto the open fields of the plains and we see God's glory in the sunrises and sunsets here in Amarillo, we can see His goodness in the things that we taste that are delicious, and the sounds that we hear that are formed together to make music and symphonies, we can see a glimpse of God's nature in these things. Such as the Maker is, so is His work. His creation also exhibits an order, right? Whether that's the tiniest subatomic particle or the vast food chains that exist inside these enormous ecosystems all over our world, they're not born out of chaos, chance, coincidence. Rather, they bear the mark of purpose and intentionality and order reflecting the Creator who made them. Such as the Maker is, so is His work. We can see Him there. And if we continue reading the Psalm 38, or 33, verses 8 and 9, the psalmist tells us 
Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. See, God is the only being in the universe whose word and His works always go together. He is sovereign. And because through His creation we can see a glimpse of His nature, the only right response for the inhabitants of His creation is to look on Him with awe and to fear Him. When I was younger, I think it was in seventh grade, my family decided that we were going to drive to California. And on the way to California, we were going to stop at the Grand Canyon. And as a person who was, one, in seventh grade and a moody teenager, and two, has grown up around the second largest canyon in the country, I was kind of jaded towards canyons. And I thought that the Grand Canyon was probably going to be pretty lame. And so uh, as we got there, I was kind of bummed out. And we got there, we get out of the car. and, And if you've been to the Grand Canyon, it's an incredible experience. Because as great as the Palo Canyon is, the Grand Canyon is a totally different ballpark, right? It's huge. You can't even, it's hard to see the opposite side of the canyon. You can't even see the bottom of the canyon as you stand on the edge of it. See, the natural response to seeing something like the Grand Canyon or anything that has the magnitude of something like that is wonder and amazement. So when faced with something that is vastly beyond ourselves, our natural response is a feeling of wonder and smallness and fear. The psalmist wants us to imagine us standing before the sovereign God who created the Grand Canyon with his breath, who formed the Rocky Mountains with a word, who stacks the ocean up like a heap. And our natural response to him ought to be, as he says in verse 8, that the inhabitants of the earth should fear the Lord and stand in awe of him. This is a word that Christians sometimes like to skirt around, fear God. Oh, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Right? What it means is that We see the Lord as He is. And when we see the Lord as He is, we are able to see ourselves as we really are. And the other thing is that the the psalmist here is commanding us to to fear the Lord. And here's what I would say to you, that the command to fear the, the Lord is an invitation to fear nothing else in your life. Augustine, he tells us that, let them not fear another instead of Him. Doth the wild beast rage? Fear God. Doth a serpent lie in wait? Fear God. Doth men hate thee? Fear God. Doth the devil fight against thee? Fear God. For the whole of creation is under him whom you are commanded to fear. Second, let's look at the sovereignty of God in history. Look at verses 10 of Psalm chapter 33. It says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. I think that like all of us have probably had a similar experience. And that similar experience is probably after the 2016 election, we all looked at our um, significant others or friends and said, I'm so glad that's over. We can breathe. We can have some time in our life when we don't have politics all around us. Because in America, politics has become a year-round thing. Every season is election season. And politics are this new religion in our world. Each election cycle is filled with new horror stories of what the other side will do if they come to power to, to our country or to our world. And if we vote correctly, then we're told that we can save our country and possibly our world from certain impending doom. 
And while I will tell you, you absolutely should vote. You absolutely, absolutely should practice dominion over the thing that God in our country has given you to practice dominion in and to bring about righteous laws and righteous rulers in our country. Let us not be under the, the, the um, mistake, uh, mistaken thought that God is not the one that is controlling the policy of our world. We should know that at the end of the day, it is not the policy of men that will stand, but the policy of the Creator, God. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 tells us that many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. See, on the surface, it'll seem as though there are a few powerful people and powerful nations who hold the ability to decide the course of our world, right? And that's why our world is so crazy. We think that if the wrong people get power in their hands, then they will kill us, or they will ruin our world, or our, our, our lives will be doomed, But the scriptures tell us that while it may appear that the power is in the hands of men, that God actually holds the power of the world. He is the one who decides the course of this world. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 tells us that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. As Christians who believe in in the sovereignty of God, we should believe that his word and his works are inseparable. And that what he says will certainly come to pass. We can be confident that our God always brings about his purposes and his plans, no matter what. And because God is sovereign, we can rest knowing that the wicked neither get what they want, nor or they, what they want unwittingly will serve God's purposes. There's really no clearer example of this than Jesus on the cross. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we have a, a, a story where Peter and John are being persecuted and they come back to their friends and it says when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what, they, or what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, God uses the acts of sinful, evil men to, as Acts says, do whatever God's hand and whatever God's plan had predestined to take place. Not even the acts of Satan or sinful or evil men can frustrate the plans of the Lord. And no doubt, while all these sinful deeds and sinful acts culminated in the death of Jesus on the cross, the result is the glorification of Jesus on the cross. God is powerful enough to make the results of evil acts accomplish His plan. And ultimately, they reveal His righteousness and justice as well as His steadfast love through the work of Jesus on the cross. The acts of evil men culminates in the ultimate show of God's righteousness and judgment as He pours out His wrath for sin upon His own Son. The acts of evil men culminate in the, the beauty of God's love shown to whole, the whole world by the sacrificial death of His Son on the cross. See, nothing can stop God's plans and purposes. Charles Spurgeon says that the cause of God is never in danger. 
Infernal craft is outwitted by infinite wisdom. And satanic malice is held in check by boundless power. This is why the psalmist points us to, in verse 16 and 17, he tells us that the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Well, it's easy for us in our world to worry and to get caught up in how much money or influence or momentum certain powers in this world may achieve or may hold. The metrics that we often use to predict success do not always translate to victory in reality. That's why the psalmist is using a military picture here, is because if there's anything that we know about military history, there's always great stories of smaller armies winning great battles. Our country is an example of that, right? The American Revolution is a, is a great underdog story of a smaller army winning a battle. Victory is not guaranteed because of military might or physical ability, but rather it is granted to those upon whom the Lord has placed His eye. Look at verse 18 and 19 of Psalm 33. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Now, for those of us who are not in Christ, the thought of a God whose eye is constantly on them is a terrifying one. When I was in high school, I was, uh, if you can't tell, I'm a, I was like a band nerd in high school. And so I would hang out in the band hall all the time. And in the band hall at Emerald High, the old band hall, there was uh, offices. The, the head band director's office was upstairs. And in his office was about a 12-inch by 12-inch window that was uh, very high up in the, uh, on the wall, right? And so he would occasionally look down from that window. And he, if he saw people doing things that they ought not to be doing, he would come down from his office and he would point to that child and he would say their name. And then they would go into his office and we'd never see that kid again. They were gone, Right? And when we were in that, that office, we would, or when we were in the band hall, we would always, like, if we were about to get up to something that was possibly no good, which I, I rarely did, but I would, we would look up to the window and make sure the light wasn't on, right? We wanted to make sure he wasn't seeing what we were doing. That's not what the psalmist is describing here. It's more like how my wife and I look after our son James. James, our son, is 14 months old. And he has a death wish. Every moment of the day, he's trying to kill himself or hurt himself by pulling something very large onto his body or putting his finger in an electrical socket or wrapping a cord around his neck of some sort. And so our job as parents is to lovingly keep an eye on him because we care for him, right? We don't want anything bad to happen to him. And there's, and there's not a moment of the day where we don't want to keep our eyes on him because we love him. We don't want harm to come to him. For those of us who are in Christ, who have been forgiven of our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, to know that the loving gaze of our Father is always watching over us, is, it's comforting, right? It's comforting because even though we know that we will experience famine, as the, the psalmist tells us, there will be hard times. You will experience famine. God always delivers our soul. He always delivers our soul because He's always watching out for us and His purposes and plans will not be frustrated. Look at uh, let's continue on looking at our, our response to God's sovereignty. The first point was God's sovereignty in creation. The second one is God's sovereignty in history. And now we turn, what is our response to be to God's sovereignty? Look at verse 20 of, of, of Psalm chapter 33. It says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. 
Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. There's a story of a a young man who sets sail on a boat. And while he's on his journey, the boat begins to experience terrible weather. The, the, the wind is crashing up against the side of the boat. The waves are, are going over onto the deck of the boat, and the people on the boat begin panicking. They become fearful, and, and that's understandable, right? And they begin to grab their family members and hold them tight. They begin to grab the things of this world that are their possessions that are on the boat that they hope to save. And the boy, the young man who is on the ship, he is not worried at all. He is not phased by this. And the passengers notice that he is just unfazed by this weather. And they begin to ask him, what, why, why are you so calm? Why are you not bothered by this? We're about to die. And he says, well, my father is the captain, and I know that he will get us to where we're going safely. The journey of this life is incredibly difficult. This week, we're reminded of that. It's fraught with peril, painful circumstances. There will be people who have an evil intent on our lives, but while the storms rage on, we are to be a people on the boat who are hopeful because we know that our God is in complete control. While our bodies may fail us, while, while our bodies may fall apart, while we may die, God will not abandon our souls to the grave, but He will safely deliver us to the shores. And the Bible tells us that in the meantime, we wait. That's what he says in verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. Now in the Bible, this is not just some idle um, waiting, passive waiting, us looking into the sky, waiting for God to crack open the heavens and to come down and to rescue us and save us out of this um, pain. But the Bible tells us that waiting is an eager receptivity to God's word, that we're eagerly pursuing and receiving God's word, whether that's here on Sunday morning like you're doing right now, whether that's throughout your week, because the people of God know that God's word is something special. We know that a sovereign God's word always results in his works, and so when we cling to his word in this difficult life, we know that we will be seeing the results of those words eventually. So we place our hope not in the things of this world, but upon God who is holy and sovereign, and what he says he will do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We're thankful that your word is always true because you're sovereign. Nothing can disrupt your plans. Nothing can distract your plans. Nothing can destroy your purposes in this world. And God, your purpose is to save sinners and glorify your son. And God, we are so grateful that Our salvation is not something that will be thwarted, but it's something that you will bring to fruition. God, we are grateful. We love you. You are a good and kind Father to us. And God, we pray today that we would be a people that are filled with hope as we go out into this world that is panicking, that is fearful, that we would not fear this world, but that we would fear you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.